even before last summer's big movie blockbuster, Captain America Civil War, the Marvel comic book universe was rocked by secret wars. Superheroes did fight superheroes, but it was their alternate universe, other dimensional selves. This was the culmination of a story arc involving incursions, wherein one world, an alternate Earth, encounters another catastrophically destroying both, and resulting in a cascade of incursions across the multiplicity of universes that comprise the multiverse. This was a science fiction plot device employed years earlier, when the DC multiverse collapsed in crisis on infinite Earths. The idea of alternate universes existing in other dimensions date back into the comics over 70 years. Mr. Mixias Pitalik, an impish antagonist who loved playing practical jokes on Superman, was a highly evolved being from the fifth dimension, who proved popular enough to return again and again to play Superman. But Mixias Pitalik was DC merely one-upping Eugene the Jeep, an animal from a four-dimensional world Introduced in Thimble Theater, the newspaper comic strip that gave us Popeye. The Jeep is able to enter and leave locked rooms, avoiding obstacles by merely stepping in and out of the fourth dimension. In the same way that a conventional chessboard expanded into 3D chess allows pieces to pop in and out of the playing field. Unlike Dr. Manhattan, another multidimensional being, you and I inhabit a three-dimensional world. If fourth or fifth dimensions even exist, we can't seem to peer along them, move into them, or even point in their direction. Were I able to, I'd be capable of moving not only forward and back, left and right, up and down, but somehow in and out. I can't. I don't even know how to, although Dr. Strange seems to be able to do it with ease. The Flash was introduced in 1940 when graduate chemistry student Jay Garrick was studying the gases emanating from hard water. I assume writer Gardner Fox meant heavy water, deuterium oxide. In any event, should any of you ever be working in a chemistry lab, I hope you know better than to smoke there. Oh, unless of course you want something really cool to happen. Sixteen years later, editor Julia Schwartz in an effort to revive the flagging superhero genre, retooled The Flash, and in the retelling of his origin, it's a lightning strike to the forensic lab of police scientist Barry Allen that endows Barry with the powers of a speedster. Once Barry Allen became The Flash, DC pretty much forgot about Jay Garrick, but not astute readers who wrote in wondering what was up with two entirely different Flashes. A problem not completely resolved until 1961's Flash 123, where the two flashes are explained as coming from parallel universes, adjacent to one another along some extra dimension. Is there any scientific reason, any theory, no matter how speculative, that would suggest to us that we should even believe in things like other dimensions? Now, planaria flatworms are not really truly two-dimensional creatures, but I like to use them to illustrate what life in a two-dimensional universe might be like. Imagine being a flatworm. Your entire existence is confined to the surface across which you crawl. You can see and sense the objects before you, feel those that you bump into on the sides, but you cannot lift your head. You can't look up or down, nor would you, I guess, ever think to do so. Concepts like up and down would be totally 
unfamiliar to you, despite the fact that it's possible that your entire existence could be confined to a single page of some massive tome, and other creatures, other colonies, other civilizations, entirely other worlds could exist just in a dimension you can't conceive of. One year ago, the announcement of the direct observation of gravitational waves sent many of you into the tailspin of realizing our universe was far more peculiar than you might ever have been able to imagine. And in the paper, the signal detected was explained as due to the merger of two very distant black holes. The signal itself, described as a compression and elongation of our three-dimensional space itself, and graphics like this representing the waves certainly strongly suggested that our space could somehow be warped or bent into some other dimension. In fact, Einstein's 1916 general theory of relativity insisted that three-dimensional space is warped by the presence of mass. And gravitational effects are simply due to objects trying to move through that warped space being forced into the trajectories that we recognize for objects falling freely near massive planets or stars. How much the space is disturbed depends upon the mass of the object. Notice what happens when two large astronomical objects, think stars or even galaxies, are close to one another. The warping of one enhances the warping of its neighbor. If they're close enough together, they can in fact produce this overall bowing of the otherwise flat three-dimensional universe. If our universe were filled with sufficient number of galaxies and they were distributed close enough together, our three-dimensional space might in fact be display an overall curvature that could quite possibly fold over upon itself placing us on the three-dimensional surface of some four-dimensional sphere. If our universe is a four-dimensional sphere, what is inside and what is out here? Look what happens when the Fantastic Four pursue the scrolls to the Andromeda Galaxy. How Reed Richards explains their route to his co-pilot, Benjamin J. Grimm. Like tunneling through the Earth is a shortcut to reaching China, they will travel below our three-dimensional space through subspace to emerge on the other side at the Andromeda Galaxy some two and a half million light years away in a matter of two or three comic book panels. A flatworm confined to the surface of some gigantic sphere perhaps believes his world is simple, his space is flat, but imagine going on an exploratory journey to the farthest researches of re recesses of the universe on a one-way trip, only to find one day the old familiar landmarks reappearing from the opposite direction. Astronomers are always seeking to see if there's any evidence that our three-dimensional world displays that sort of fourth-dimensional curvature. They do it by looking at the distribution of galaxies, measuring their recessional speeds, comparing the equilibrium conditions of disparate points in space, most of that work done by looking at the WMAP data of the temperature fluctuations in the cosmic microwave background radiation. So far, the evidence of curvature is inconclusive. But if we existed on the surface of a four-dimensional ball, 
and the space beneath and outside were inhabited by other universes, what would it, that were independently expanding, what would happen if they ever bumped into one another or passed through one another? Funny you should ask. Half dozen years ago, a couple of theorists applied a pattern recognition program to that WMAP data, and they found some interesting structure that you see here as circles and ripples. Here's the paper. If you don't recognize either of the author names, let me point out that R. Penrose is Sir Roger Penrose of Oxford, an internationally known, heavily cited, and award-winning physicist. The algorithm they applied looked for adjacent temperature fluctuations that fluctuated the same way to see if they were part of any neighboring structure. It's where they believed they saw these faint and possibly fading circles and ripples in space. The incursions of Marvel's secret wars. You've got to be careful when you're looking for patterns in data. Consider this display of random electronic noise, and I want you to squint at it and see if you see any signs of circles, even faintly, there in the background. Look here. I see a face. A man in the moon. Do you see it? And here, another face. Are those images really there? Well, a year later, a group of graduate students did something interesting. They took the WMAP data, and they simply randomly shuffled it, and then applied the same pattern recognition program. Invariably, every time they repeated that random shuffling, they would find evidence for circles. By sheer chance, what does that mean? I guess we have not found conclusive evidence of the occurrence of incursions into our universe. Is it possible, though, that those other dimensions that we have not yet detected are there, but we haven't been looking in the right place? This group of theorists, Demopolis et al., have proposed that we inhabit an 11-dimensional universe. Most of those dimensions tightly compactified at a microscopic level. I want you to think of that overall curvature of a universe in a four-dimensional ball occurring in very tiny subatomic distances. They certainly would be dimensions you and I couldn't observe were too big in the same way that this tightrope walker navigates easily, well, not so easily, but one single dimension, oblivious to the tightly coiled dimension beneath his feet, one that can be explored by smaller entities like the ant I've illustrated. I'm talking about dimensions that are so small that perhaps only subatomic particles could probe them. This should excite the fanboys out there because it does in fact sound like I am talking about the microverse, discovered by Dr. Doom, pursued there by the Fantastic Four who went on to explore that domain, the Silver Surfer escape into it briefly, and last summer, Ant-Man encounter it. At the Large Hadron Collider, at the laboratory of CERN in Geneva, Switzerland, high-energy physicists are looking at data, searching for evidence of those microscopic additional dimensions. We're always looking for exciting new discoveries. Back in 2012, we announced the discovery of the Higgs boson, you'll remember. But most of the time, we're combing through the commonplace everyday debris of the 31.6 million 
proton-proton collisions generated at the CERN laboratory every second. These collisions can be as different as snowflakes, but we learn to classify them and categorize them. For example, those that produce four electrons are four electron events, distinct from four muon events, or two electron, two muon events. When phenomena becomes familiar, we learn how to predict their recurrence, the frequency with which or probability that they will recur. For example, consider a box of a thousand coins dumped on the table. The most reasonable expectation would be to see 500 heads or something close to it. Pick up all of those coins, dump the box again a thousand times. We won't see 500 heads exactly every time, but a distribution like this is perfectly reasonable. Were I to see anything else like this, I might suspect that not all of the coins were flipped under the identical conditions. A result like this might lead me to suspect that the coins are slightly weighted in favor of heads. In fact, any distribution other than the one we anticipate would tell us there's something peculiar about that box of a thousand coins. In the high energy experiments that I described, we look at lots of observables. We measure quantities and study their distribution looking for any anomalies that tell us that something different from what was expected is occurring. This is missing energy. Due to the occurrence of neutrinos in the collisions, neutrinos which are, mass, are chargeless, nearly massless particles, easily escape detection. The data points are the black circles. The colored regions are the contributions that are predicted for known physical processes that produce neutrinos in precise number and with predictable energies. Notice how well the data fits the predictions. This tells us we understand the underlying physics of these processes pretty well and understand the performance of our detector as well. I guess in this plot, it looks like there is no anomalous behavior that needs to be explained as any new discovery. We all know that gravitational fields weaken with distance. The further you are from the Earth, the weaker and more feeble its pull is because of the way gravity fans out to fill three-dimensional space. Same would be true for even subatomic particles like a proton, whose gravitational field must be minuscule to begin with, but it must flare out in the same way. If the microscopic dimensions that we've been speculating on existed, then it's possible that a fraction, and that the gravity fills all the available space of all the dimensions, the fraction of it that gets captured into that little micro-dimension would wrap over on itself many times. And the theory we're talking about speculates there could be many such hidden dimensions. This sort of suggests a region outside of which the normal Newton's law of gravity apply, but that if we could probe in close enough, the gravitational fields cycle, recycle so often that become explosively exponentially high. At the energies available at the CERN collider, protons certainly must be able to approach one another close enough to invade that space, where if they found gravitational fields becoming explosively high, compress them into many black holes. Many black holes should almost instantly evaporate by Hawking radiation, but the result of that would be high-speed subatomic decay fragments. In an effort to see if anything like that ever happens with an our detector, in our experiment, we've run experiments and then simply summed up the energy measured for all observable, our, all observable particles, photons, 
electrons, muons, jets. And the black circles are the data points. They're represented with their air bars that notice are expanding as we get to the tail of this distribution where statistics are starting to run out. Smack dab down the middle is this dashed blue line, which is the predicted sum of all known physics processes. And our uncertainty in those predictions are represented by the gray area that surrounds it. Notice the data points fall so beautifully in line with the expected distribution. There are some other curves that you see. This blue, this red, this magenta one, for example. They are the predictions for the formation of many black holes decaying under different scenarios that are distinguished by the number of available extra dimensions that the gravity bleeds into and then the size of how tightly coiled they might be. It looks like the data that we've generated disproves the blue model. No way that's consistent. The red model is also looking like it's unlikely. But the magenta model, our data, particularly given the air bars, is insufficient to say. We need to conduct more experiments, collect more data, and until the results of that data are reported, I'll merely have to say for now, to be continued.